I think I want to uh, start here. Um, I would like to just pray, uh, particularly just for, I know sickness is rampant right now. Um, we know there are several just close friends and loved ones of ours who are uh, sick at this moment. Um, and uh, I know that there are people that are just hurting um, and going through just extreme difficulty right now. So I, I think there's nothing better that we could do at this moment than open up just praying for what God can do there. Jesus, I pray that you would um, would bring healing. God, I know that this has not caught you by surprise. You are not caught off guard by this pandemic. You're not caught off guard by all this sickness. You are not caught off guard by how much has changed. You are not surprised in the least. And I know that what the enemy is meaning for evil, you can use for good. Christ, I pray that you would bring healing. And Lord, in the healing that you bring, I pray that it doesn't just heal us to let us go back to the way things were because the way things were was not enough. Christ, so many of us were so flippant with our faith, so fickle with what it meant to be a part of what you're doing. And I pray that you would use the disruption of our lives over these past years to draw us to real faith in you. Faith that changes us that challenges us, that we let go of all the other things we thought we had to have and hold tightly to you. God, for the families that are just sick right now, for parents, for children, Lord, that you would just bring healing. Lord, for people who are suffering, not just from sickness, but from hurt and pain, I pray that you would bring peace even where understanding is just not available. And Lord, I pray that you help your church to be what you've called it to be. In your name I pray, amen. So I want to say this, um, due to some sickness, uh, we were going to have baptism today, but it's going to be moved to next week. I'm, I'm really, really excited for this baptism. We've got uh, uh, <laughs> Lily Sherlin getting baptized, which I'm so excited about. That was a, uh, a conversation they got to have at home. And then uh, we have uh, Dwayne, uh, with his Robbie and Kimmel Howard's son, getting baptized. I'm so excited for that. Uh, we have Asa Howard, who's uh, also Robbie and Howard's son, getting baptized. We also have, this is the latest two additions. Uh, if you've seen the Howard clan walking in and out there, uh, you know, it's the, the, the 50 people that sit on this side over here. Um, they, uh, they have two children that they have, um, brought home to them from China and, uh, their names are Eleanor and Oliver. And both of them have asked and desired to be baptized because of their belief in Jesus. Now, Camille, when she texted me about this, I'm I'm just going to cry today, I guess. Um, she's like, I'm okay if that's not okay. Like if, you know, because uh, I don't know if you've gotten to spend time around them, both of them have have special needs. And she said, I'm okay if if that's not an okay thing. I said, how dare we question who Christ saves? How dare we question the understanding that they have? And if they're saying, I believe in Jesus and I want the church to know, we will do this. And I'm so, so, so excited to be able to get to see that many children. The other thing I'm excited about is all these children, these conversations happen in their homes. Do you know who God called to be the primary disciple maker of your children? You. You. There is no such thing as a professional that you get to send your child to. You know why? I'm no professional. The people over there, Camille, Christy, none of them are professionals. Steven's no professional. Dave is no professional, right? None of us are, are professionals at taking care of your kids. We will assist you. But your main role in your family is to disciple your children. 
This is one of the reasons why we're so focused on this being a family-oriented thing. I would love to hear babies crying every single week if it meant that families were getting to worship together inside of this room. There's a model that has been happening for a long time where we, what we've tried to do is say, let's keep the children separate from the adults for as long as possible, right? So keep them somewhere else for every single part of the church until they're 18. And then we wonder why only one in 10 comes back. We've told them you don't belong here for 18 years. And then suddenly we say, please come back and be a part. And they say, you didn't want us. So I would rather have disruptions. I would rather have questions. I'd rather have to give stern eyes to my son when he's sitting over here talking with his buddies and him know that he belongs here than ever have a situation where we're, th- we're telling people by our actions or by our very words, we didn't want you in here until you were 18. This is going to be a family-centric church because God has called the church to be a family of families. So your children belong in here with you. They need to watch you give. They need to watch you sing. They need to watch you pray. They need to watch you weep. They need to watch you take notes. They need to watch you change because what you heard me say, that one's a struggle for me. We need this. Part of that leads to this statement. We do have our children's stuff that goes on at 10 o'clock on Sunday. It's incredible. They have worship together. They sing together. They study together. And it's a great environment. But they do need some more people to volunteer over there. Can I tell you who I think the most incredible volunteers would possibly be? Their parents. If you are not attending Sunday school class now, if that's the time that you get for your life group, I'm not asking you to give that up. But if you attend a, uh, a life group on a weekday night, if you attend on Wednesday night or Tuesday night or Thursday night or Sunday night, if that's where you're going to your life group and you have the 10 o'clock slot open to be somewhere and you have children that are in the children's program, go be with them. What better way could you have to ask them questions about what they're learning than if you learned it too? Anybody ever asked their child, hey, what'd you learn today? And they said, I don't know. You know an easy way to remedy that? Sit with them. Let them know that you're a part of that process, even when they're sitting under the teaching of Camille and Christy, that you want to be a part of their discipleship journey, regardless of where it's at, whether it's at church or at home. So we need volunteers If that's you, uh, don't feel like it has to be somebody that's got a child in there. We need all of you, everybody. We need this. This is something the church does is we participate in creating disciples. And that is a beautiful thing. But if you're a parent and you are available at time, I'm going to just beg you to go. Because that is the great place for you. That is the greatest place for you to be. Um, Okay, I guess I'll I'll stop there. Um, Has anybody in here ever Stepped on a Lego. You don't forget that, do you? That's pain like into your soul, right? That, that goes all the way in. Has anybody in here, uh, anybody ever uh, found a piece of furniture with your pinky toe? You didn't know where it was before then, and then you found it. Why is it the pinky toe? Every time, right? It's like a magnet. I don't understand it. And every time, anybody in here been like, it's broken. It's definitely broken. And it's not broken, but it just hurts like nobody's business. Anybody ever hit your thumb with a hammer? Yeah, we won't talk about the words you thought or said. I don't know. I wasn't there. So let's talk about that for a minute. What actually caused a hammer to hit your thumb? Was it the hammer itself? Was it the weight of the hammer? Was was that the cause of it? It's part of it, right? 
it's a heavy, large metal object that, that has some weight coming down with force. So yeah, hammer itself is part of the cause. Was it the nail that was too small for the hammer to hit, right? Could be. Was it your own hands that caused your thumb to get hit by the, the hammer? That's a big cause, isn't it? Was it your own brain that was not focusing on the task at hand and therefore caused your hands to be not in eyesight as you're swinging nails or swinging hammers? I don't suggest that, by the way. Don't, don't not look at the nail when you're trying to hit it. <laughs> or was it the person who shouldn't have been talking to you while you're using a hammer? It's their fault, right? Amen. There we go. That's the main cause. You see, we can go through just in a something that's so simple that most of us, most of us have experienced getting our thumbs hit with a hammer. We can find a hundred causes for what made that happen. Right. And a lot of them are, are, are true and real. And today we're going to study who Peter blames for Jesus's death. The answer may surprise you because it includes a lot of people. So if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter two. We're going to be just doing uh, verses 22 through 24. So the first, uh, I, I, this is uh, the title of this message is the first Christian sermon, part two. Uh, last week we did part one. Next week we're going to do part three. Peter was a gifted communicator filled with the spirit and able to do this with one message. I cannot. <laughs> so we're dividing this into three parts to be able to, uh, uh, for me to be able to, to grasp it in the ways that my, my limited brain can. So we're going to start in verse 22. Of Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So first of all, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. So we, we've already established uh, at Pentecost that there is a large number of nations present, right? Because the people walked out, these 120 people, particularly the, the 12 walk out speaking in languages that were native to other people, but not native to a Galilean. So we know there are lots of native, uh, lots of nations represented here. So why is Paul ignoring them by saying men of Israel? Well, that's the thing. I think what's funny is I don't think he's ignoring them. Uh, I, I think he's actually including them. So he's calling every single person in that crowd, those thousands of people listening to this message, all of them. He's saying, all of you are now men of Israel. And that would have certainly annoyed the good Israelites. Do you know why? Because they're the ones that stuck around and did all the good stuff. And suddenly you're calling all of them men of Israel. How dare you, Peter? He says, hear these words. The definition of that, that Greek word for here, akusate, means to believe something and respond to it on the basis of having heard. Has it, this might be just me. Has anybody in here ever had to forcefully tell your child to listen? Anybody use that word? Listen to me, right? Anybody have a child that has selective hearing? Anybody have a parent with selective hearing? Okay, sorry. I'll, We'll disregard that for a moment. Are you simply asking your child or your spouse or your parent to hear noise proceeding from your mouth? Hear noise. Ugh. Is that what you're asking? No. You're telling them to understand the words you're saying and act upon them quickly. <laughs> By the time you've said, listen, you're saying, listen and do now. 
That's the word that Paul uses here. He says, men of Israel, listen and do quickly. And he goes on, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. So Jesus, uh, he's the Jesus of Nazareth because uh, that's where Mary and Joseph lived, right? So their, their ancestral home was Bethlehem, which was where Jesus was born. But then he grew up in Nazareth, which you can see. This is a small town uh, south, in South Galilee. and was not in part of mainstream life. It was a little country town, which is part of why uh, the, the, the person said, what good can come out of Nazareth, right? Because it was just this little country town. Jesus only returned once to Nazareth, Nazareth after his ministry began. We, you can read about it in Luke four sixteen through 30. And he told them that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. It can be difficult to uh, start teaching in the very place that you grew up. Did you know that? Anybody know why? Because they can constantly only see you as the young person. And these people, they, they didn't accept uh, what Jesus said. And so he, he left Nazareth and did not return after that during his earthly ministry. So this man was attested. This is a word that means to cause something to be known as genuine with a possible focus upon the source of such knowledge. So everyone in this audience that, that Peter is talking to had every reason to believe that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Because the source of this knowledge was from God. I'll claim this just for me. But even when God has said something, I don't always listen. So I can identify with these people. Anybody in here ever read something in the word and thought, maybe later? Anybody ever heard somebody speak on something and thought, that's kind of for other people? Anybody ever heard somebody say something on stage and thought, I know exactly who that's for? We struggle with this, hearing God's word and thinking that's for me and for me to do something different because of it. So he's attested to you by God with mighty works. This is the word dunamis, which means a deed manifesting great power with implication of some supernatural forces where we get our word dynamite. Jesus did do some mighty works, didn't he? What happened when he was, uh, went on a boat ride with his best friends and fell asleep in the boat? A humongous storm comes up and all of the disciples are thinking, we're going to die, right? They're terrified. Now, Jesus <laughs> uh, uh, kind of talks to them about their lack of faith because what they have to understand, if they think they're going to die, they think God's going to let Jesus die. Now, this very man who they believe was the Messiah, they're like, I guess God's going to kill the Messiah in a storm. No. So Jesus walks out and what does he do? He says, be still and everything stopped. Anybody think that's a mighty work? I do. If any of you guys did that, we'd have to talk, right? Anybody remember what happened to one of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus? Lazarus died. Lazarus died while Jesus wasn't even there. Now, his sisters had sent word for Jesus to come because, Jesus, because Lazarus was sick. But Jesus didn't come in time. Was it that he couldn't? No, he chose the timing that he came and he came days after Lazarus's death. Anybody want to take a wild guess at how Mary and Martha were feeling when Jesus showed up? You can tell by the way they respond, can't you? They're bitter. Oh, it's snowing hard. I guess I'll have to hurry now. <laughs> Thank you, Kenneth. <laughs> 
All right, well, we'll get moving. <laughs> so Jesus comes in and raises Lazarus. Raising somebody from the dead, is that a mighty work? Yes, it is. He also did wonders. On, uh, in front of James, Peter, and uh, John, he, there's a, a time of the Bible called the Transfiguration where Jesus suddenly shows up and you get to see uh, Elijah and Moses show up with uh, Jesus on a hill and the, these apostles are getting to watch as they see these uh, fathers of faith appear with Jesus. In fact, Peter's like, all right, let's build some tents here. Let's, uh, we need to set up some place to worship. And uh, Jesus is like, what's wrong with you? No, or let's just know. This is not about them. This is about who I am. Jesus knew who the Samaritan woman was before she said a word. You remember when she go, he goes and he meets her and he said, and she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know you've had several and the person that you're with right now is not your own. Anybody think that is a wonderful, a, a, a wonder? How would he know these things? But what's the wonder beyond in that story is that then he tells her, go and sin no more. Right? He teaches her what faith is. He also came in signs. This is an event which is regarded as having some special meaning. I do want to focus on at least one of these. I'm going to try to pare some of this down. <laughs> Jesus' first miracle. Anybody know what it is? Turning water into wine. I love that story for one particular reason. Do you know what water he used to turn into wine? The big jars that were full of the water for ceremonial cleansing. Because you're a filthy, nasty, gross person and you better clean yourself up. And this wasn't outward cleanliness. This was about your spiritual cleanliness. Wash here, next one, wash here, next one, wash here. And you were trying to wash yourself saying, I know I'm dirty, now let me clean up. Anybody think that was a fun experience for everybody that walked through the weddings, walked through the temple? Yes, I'm admitting over and over and over again, wash me, wash me, I'm, I'm dirty. Those other Pharisees are better than me and I'm the one that needs to, to wash up. It was ceremonial cleansing. And so Jesus turned something that was hard and difficult and reminded them of death into something that was beautiful and reminded them of joy in life by turning water into wine at this wedding. And he says that he did, God did these things in your midst. First Peter is connecting the entire life of Jesus to God's activity. And second, he's telling them that each of them was either present for parts of Jesus' ministry or at least had heard about them. He said, you know this because they were either there or they heard about it. Anybody uh, in here like to come up with excuses for why things don't work out the way you want to or why anybody have an excuse for why you're late to work? Anybody's excuse traffic when really it was Starbucks? I mean, there's traffic at Starbucks. That's fine. Anybody hate when other people give you excuses? Peter's robbing them of excuses. Let's read verse 23. This is this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now here's where we're getting into cause. So this is Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Delivered up means being handed over to someone. Definite plan means to assign someone to a particular task, function, or role. So this is God saying, I delivered by my definite plan this Jesus. This was not God's surprise reaction or forced hand. This was God planning this out. Why was God's plan Jesus' death? Because this was the only one that could have worked. It's ludicrous to us, but it's God's great love for the people that he made. 
And this is his foreknowledge, which means uh, when to know about something prior to some temporal reference point. When did God know that humans would sin? Before he ever made them. So why did he make them? When did God know that the cost of the redemption of humanity would be the death of his son? Before time began. Again, why did he create people? Because of his great, great love. So did God kill Jesus? Yes. God's plan for the redemption of fallen humanity was always Christ on the cross. But then he said, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. These are the men of Israel. They're the ones shouting for his crucifixion. They chose Barabbas over Jesus. They chose silver over Christ. It says they killed him. They abused the law to have an innocent man condemned to death. And Jesus physically died. So did the Israelites kill Jesus? Yes. In their self-righteousness, they could not accept his message of their need for forgiveness. They could, not, they could not accept a Messiah that didn't place them on the throne. So they had him killed. But they had him killed by the hands of lawless men. These would be the Romans. Though the Israelites and the religious leaders in particular were the ones who made this happen, it was the Romans who physically tortured Jesus and put him on the cross. Did the Romans kill Jesus? Yes. Though they were assured of his innocence, they tortured, mocked, and murdered him. So who killed Jesus? All of us. He died because each of us have sinned. And that sin brought us the penalty of death and separation from God. He died to restore us by God's plan, the Israelites' hatred, and the Romans' brutality. He died by that way to save us who are all the cause of the death of Christ. Let's wrap up with verse 24. God raised him, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Though Jesus did physically die and in the most horrid way possible, God caused him to physically live again. Jesus came out of the tomb with his glorified body, paving the way for our own resurrection. So loosen the pangs of death. This literally means he caused the terrible suffering of death to cease. Christ's time in physical death was a time of bearing the wrath of God against all sin. I want you to understand something. When Jesus died and was in the tomb, in the grave, he wasn't on vacation. He wasn't resting. He wasn't in some separate dimension, just kind of hanging out and chilling, waiting for the time to pass by. He was bearing our burden in hell. You see, we have a misconception about hell as Christians. We think that hell belongs to Satan, that that's, you know, the little guy with the red, little red guy with the horns and stuff like that. And he owns it and he lives there and he comes up every now and then. Satan's domain is not hell because Satan's kingdom is here on earth. We hear a lot of times that the ultimate punishment of hell is separation from God, but that can't be found in the word. Here's the reason. Hell is the place where God's wrath is poured out on his enemies. God's presence is there. It is just not the presence you're desiring. It is his hatred towards sin and his wrath against it poured out in hell. Nothing exists apart from God, right? He's omnipresent. So to say there's separation from them, from, uh, from him somewhere means that he's not somewhere and that can't be. How long is three days in hell? 
in eternity. Who would have been able to endure it? Only God. We'll focus more on this next week. It says it's not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold Jesus because uh, he is God. He took our flesh and uh, to pay our, he took on our flesh to pay our price. And because he is God, he conquered sin and death. And because of him, death cannot hold any whom he saves. Just as death could not hold Christ, those in Christ cannot be held by death either. When you close your eyes, bow your heads with me. We're going to have an invitation. What excuses do you justify, do you use to justify ignoring God? When he clearly says something that you should listen to and you haven't, you just choose not to act on it. Will you repent of those excuses? Will you place his truth above your desires? Do you realize that we all bear the blame of Christ's death because we have all sinned and that sin was what he had to bear on the cross? Have you accepted this? Accepted his gift of salvation by saying, I will take your sin. He is offering that to you. When was the last time you truly worshiped God for the salvation you received that could only be given by him? Death could not hold Christ because he is God and he died physically as the perfect and last sacrifice for sin. If you've not ever done this, will you accept that gift this, today? Jesus, I pray you guide us to you, help us to worship you. Lord, the cause of your death is so clear. It was Jesus, your death was the plan of God, which blows our minds because none of us would do it. But it was God's plan because it was the only way to save us because it is our sin that puts you on the cross. The, the ones who believed they were righteous and rejected you, the ones who were totally unrighteous and just mocked you and tortured you, we can put ourselves in both of those categories because we put you on the cross in our sin. We don't deserve it, but you offer us this forgiveness. Let us worship you for what salvation is. And God, let us listen to your words and do them. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand, respond however God leads you.